there! Welcome to The Ebon Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news in Knights of the Old Republic. Today we will look at fancasts for Juhani and examine how different force powers in KOTOR could be visualized. Spoiler alert for Knights of the Old Republic and the Star Wars films and TV shows. This is where the birth of Luke and Leia begins. So here we are, just kind of recapping the last part of the Dantooine section. And where we left off was Revenant crew confronting Juhani. And just in case you've forgotten who Juhani is, I'm just going to quote this paragraph from Wikipedia on Juhani, just in case you need a little refresher. Juhani was a Cathar female and a knight in the Jedi Order during the Jedi Civil War. Juhani grew up on the planet Terrace after her family escaped the assault on their home world during the Mandalorian Wars. In addition to experiencing great hardship and xenophobic discrimination, Juhani was sold into slavery after the death of her parents in order to pay off their debts. Juhani was eventually discovered to be force-sensitive by the Jedi Knight Revan and freed from her servitude. She then made her way to the Jedi Enclave on Dantooine and was accepted for Jedi training by Jedi Master Quatra. But one thing I totally forgot was that she grew up on Terrace or had experience with Terrace. So I guess it's kind of like, I don't know, Rome. All roads lead to Rome except in this case it's Terrace, you know? So after she was accepted for training on Dantooine. She kind of has anger problems. And during one of her training exercises with her master, Quatra, she, like, kind of lashed out at her master and accidentally, like, Juhani thought she killed her. So then she's like, uh, might as well fall to the dark side, you know? So when she's in the grove, her dark-sided energy even kind of, like, is kind of making the animals more aggressive. So she's very much like causing problems for those on Dantooine and the Jedi Council are kind of like, eh, we don't know what's going on, but like, you know, you can kill it if you need to. So she has a red lightsaber to boot. And my advice is like, spare her. When Bastila is kidnapped, you want to have another Jedi I mean, you could just always have Jolie and Juhani in your group and, like, just everyone's a Jedi. Uh, Juhani's character is also one of the instances where someone improves, like, canonically. It shows that you can be redeemed from the dark side. You can go from the darkness to the light and kind of foreshadows second chances, which is something that happens with Revan and Bastila. And... Juhani is also kind of not like an old man like Jolie and not Bastila. She's kind of, she's a Jedi, but she's kind of different from them, like anger problems, you know, but she renews her dedication to the light and she's an interesting character. And also I believe she was like the first like 
LGBTQ character in Star Wars, like, explicitly. So, yeah, she's a Cathar. Uh, what do you think of Juhani? Um, you know, I, I don't, I've never really, like, paid too much attention to her end of the story for my KOTOR playthroughs. Um, typically I just clicked through, um, clicked through it to get her into the party and then I don't really bring her up much. Um, that's just, I don't, yeah, I never really paid too much attention to a lot of the Dantooine arc. I guess if you had to choose a crew, what crew did you usually choose? Um, uh, for Dantooine, uh, it was typically kept Carthround and... And then Bastila as long as I could. And then if I had to sub Bastila out, it was usually it was uh, usually Zalbar. Yeah, just because he provided like a, a pretty big like strength option. Yeah. And so I tend to sub him in a lot. Yeah. I guess which companions are you kind of more interested in their stories? Jolie, okay. His was pretty uh I, I kinda dove into his story a bit, um, just because he he was a little bit cynical and so it was kind of fun to like poke and prod him a little bit. And then Candorous, I'd like to dig into his story a lot too. Basila, I think I did poke and prod Basil a lot to try and like get information out of her because the game kinda it kinda teases that her and Karth hold a bunch of secrets and so through especially my earlier playthroughs, um uh, poked a lot to pull dialogue out of them to figure out what was going on. Yeah, I think definitely the main three are, like, obviously, like, we, we've talked about it, but, like, Revan, Basil, and Karth, but I think, like, the others at least, like, have stories, so some of them are more interesting than others. Yeah, yeah and I still haven't, I haven't met many new characters in KOTOR 2 yet with the playthrough. Um, it's still just kind of the main, uh, the main cast so far, so I'm, I know I'm pretty close to meeting somebody new, I'm just not there yet. It's a journey. Each game has like a, a big cast of characters. Like KOTOR 2, my goodness. Like I'm like, too many characters maybe. It's like it's like Star Wars at the Avengers, but but yeah. before the Avengers. Yep. Getting back to Dantooine, uh, one of the quests you can do is the Matali Sandral subplot. It's kind of like Romeo and Juliet, but with more droids, and which is interesting. After you handle the Juhani situation and go back to the council, you're tasked to go with Bastila to the strange ruins. And it kind of looks like Stonehenge, but I would say, like, it probably in a movie would need to look different than it is from the game, because I think it's just too close to everything. Like, the Jedi Council, the Jedi Enclave on Dantooine. Because it's kind of just like the Jedi are like, mm, this door is hard to get through. I guess we'll stop and quit and never question anything, you know? Because I'm like, I, I feel like someone would like be curious about it. So I know something that really kind of drove a lot of kind of like my accelerated mouse click through dialogue was um, not being a Jedi yet. And so you spend so much time like being teased that you you can get a lightsaber and build a lightsaber and start learning some force powers. Like yeah, that's, that's what you want to get to. And so a lot of the story that it presents in front of you, like uh, especially for my earlier playthroughs, I wanted to skip through as fast as possible to get to the point where I'm 
using a lightsaber and things. Because I think at the time, you know, the, the Star Wars games that I had played were either ship-based or it was... Like, I was, I was terrible at Jedi Knight, Jedi Outcast, so I tended to stay with blasters on, on that game. Yeah. And so this was, like, the first real lightsaber experience. I think before you confront Juhani, you end up getting the lightsaber. Sometimes it feels like, not quite like Terrace, but it, it's, like, kind of when, right before you get the quest, you're like, I kind of want to go to other planets now, but you're kind of still on Dantooine, but... When it comes to the Strange Ruins, I was kind of thinking, like, of the movie John Carter, where they find an old temple on Mars, and I was listening to the audio commentary, and the director was talking about the direction he was giving about the Temple of Isis, I believe. And he's like, I want it to look so advanced you quite don't understand it, but that you sort of do. So... I'd kind of want the Rakadin Temple to be... Because it's so ancient and so different to what our characters would be used to. But still kind of look a bit like monolith-esque. You know, kind of like ancient. So I think the concept artists and everyone could have a lot of fun visualizing what the strange ruins could look like. And... Because it kind of just felt like the the Jedi weren't that curious about it. So maybe kind of make it more hidden and remote rather than just be like, well, that's there, but none of us care. I've also been reading the National Audubon Society Pocket Guide about constellations. And I guess you could say it's like a star map because it's like about constellations and stuff. But I was kind of thinking about how in The Force Awakens they kind of blow up that map a few times, but most especially in the Millennium Falcon. And I was like, visually you kind of want to get away from that, but it doesn't mean you can't have a star map. I think what you do is just kind of embrace the different time period and kind of come up with a new design. Because I was thinking, like... It talks about, I'm probably butchering this Italian right here, but there is Le Demore del Celio. Like, it's an antique map. And I was kind of thinking, like, maybe the Rakadin star maps, or even just, like, the Jedi maps that kind of, they add the Rakadin information into them, just kind of look kind of more antique and kind of like works of art rather than just, like, coordinates, you know? And I was thinking, like, each star map could be unlocked differently. Like, look ancient. Like, kind of have an intersection of looking ancient and yet kind of Star Wars-y and different. Just make them unique and embrace the time period. Because I think it would be really fun to kind of imagine, like, Star Wars-inspired constellations, like... Kind of light side, dark side, different like species, legends about different, different legendary creatures. Cause like on our world, we have like Orion, the Big Dipper or Ursa Major, you know, and like you could just kind of have fun with those, like creating like Star Wars, Star Wars constellations and like maybe make them look more medieval or, or something. In like a localized 
form, I think that would make sense. Like if, if we're looking at a civilization that is pre like major space travel, but I think the problem is, is that like in order to effectively travel space, you have to, you have to be able to understand like mapping in a three dimensional space. And so like, though it's, though it's ancient, it still needs to retain uh, like a three-dimensional map structure. One thing that is consistent through all of Star Wars is like this hologram technology. So um, we, we see in multiple instances of um, stars being mapped or star maps in a hologram setting like Attack of the Clones, like, like KOTOR and like the sequel trilogy where they're trying to find Luke Skywalker. You've got like these three-dimensional map spaces in hologram it's hard to give like a proper visual representation of three-dimensional space without some form of tech like that. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, unless it was like severely localized, like I brought up earlier, where if the star map was localized to a certain like section of like a certain quadrant of space and it was within, I'm using the Disney term, for this in a particular in like one single parsec <laughs> yeah but like that would make sense but kind of how they tell the kotor story is it's it's across like the expanse of the the star wars galaxy and to have anything other than a major holographic map yeah doesn't make sense i i definitely think there would be a hologram but like, wherein, like, if you look at, like, a constellation, like, on a 2D image, it's just, like, connecting stars, you know? I was thinking, like, say you're on Tatooine, and, like, maybe the star map shows, like, a constellation or something. Like, it would be, like, a 3D hologram, kind of, like, showing the connection between these stars, and you can kind of see, like, some stars in the constellation are, like, closer, some are farther away, you know? Because that's just how constellations work. What I mean is, like, it can be, like, kind of show, like, the intersections of the constellations and, like, kind of, like, have a 3D image behind it that kind of evokes, like, maybe, like, kind of antique Star Wars, you know, kind of, like, where it's more about, like, the beauty of the thing rather than just, like, here's a map, you know? Because I think you really want to get away from those similarities to the force awakens so i think that's where you just have to embrace like kind of making it different yeah i think my favorite star map representation came from attack of the clones where it just kind of spit out a bunch of stars and it didn't like have the didn't have like the galactic cloud or anything it was just like the star cluster and obi-wan had to like point out exactly where he was talking about yeah um i think that's a pretty good older representation of what a map could look like it, as far as the hologram projection and then they have also the 2d representation on the on the computer that he was using at the jedi archive yeah because i think it could be a good visual indicator like if revan and Bastila like maybe have it like in the ebon hawk like they kind of add the information they gain at each star map to maybe like a their map of the universe and kind of just add everything because then it kind of shows that they're kind of learning one by one 
So, because in the game, it's kind of just like you see a map of the galaxy and it's kind of just like blinking dots. And I think like you just kind of need something more to connect with in a movie, like a visual medium, obviously. Yeah, one thing I think would be cool is maybe if the star map was labeled different than than what it would be present time. in the, Like the planets in, are named differently? Yeah, because like they don't, maybe there isn't enough information on the like the local ecosystems and things and so they just like this yeah. is what they were known as anciently and then having them like needing to translate to okay so that's what this was then but it's actually referring to Kashik. Yeah. Cuz even in the game I think Zerka Corporation calls Kashik something else because they're like we don't care what your civilization is like this is better for our computer system, you know. And I was kind of even thinking, like, Dantooine and Tatooine were both, like, star map worlds. And I was kind of like, they kind of have that root word, like, ooing in it. And I was like, maybe just because, like, I had to take a little bit of linguistics. I'm like, I wonder if in the Star Wars universe, like, ooing was, like, a Rakatan root word. And, like, Tatooine and Dantooine are far apart, but they kind of retained that in their language memory you know and i'm like oh man i'm thinking way too much about this but that's really funny because there's also another system about two to three hundred light years away from tattooing that's also another ween so yeah so i guess like someone's like let's just roll with this the funny thing is bioware came up with this and i was like i've never really played mass effect but i'm like from what i hear like the star map and like the Rakatan Empire is very Mass Effecty. Yeah, but... I'd say that they're pretty similar. I mean, the kind of the, especially Kotor one versus Mass Effect one. There's a lot of similarities to plot and like going to different areas of the galaxy to like uncover things. Mass Effect was the game they made after this, and that's why they didn't proceed with Knights of the Old Republic two. But one thing I was kind of thinking about is maybe, like, the Rakatan Empire would maybe turn into, like, the Medichlorians for some fans. Because, like, maybe, like, the Infinite Empire, they'd be like, so you're saying, like, before the Star Wars, at some point, there was a Rakatan Empire that was ruling over everything, and, and they had a Starforge... And they were over it, and I could just maybe see some fans, like, not getting behind, like, kind of like a large ancient civilization that was kind of behind a lot of the history of, like, Star Wars. But, like, for me, like, that's how history works, is, like, sometimes, like, power falls into different hands, like, whether it's the Sith or the Huts or the human systems. But I don't know, what, what do you think about that? There's a there's a game that's that's more current that I think handles this fairly well. Um, Elite Dangerous has like an alien, like an ancient alien race in the galaxy that helped like shape certain technology. Like it's it's foreign, it's advanced, but it's also ancient. But they're an entity that you never like run into, and I think it works really well. And I think it could work similarly here with the Rakatan Empire, just a a different um civilization that may or may not have gone extinct, uh, that like, you know, had had their own way of progression 
and you know maybe some cataclysmic event happened and they were then replaced by the current uh, you know occupants of the galaxy um you know maybe the catastrophe the catastrophe was more localized like if we're going with more of the star map being um, localized to a, a certain section of space um that the clues were kind of distributed all around the galaxy uh, another great example of this is actually halo um for those that don't know elite dangerous but the forerunner uh empire before that were extinct by the halo rings where they had their own like major technology but like if you're just looking at the bungee um storyline you just never ran into the forerunners ever again but you saw you definitely saw like the ruins and their research and technology i think it works but yeah i think it would be cool to see a star wars spin and not like total copycat off of some of these examples that i've mentioned here yeah for me like if you just look at history empires rise and fall one point in world history like the egyptians ruled over most of the world and then it was the assyrians at different points romans persians and like everyone thinks like they're the infinite empire that will last forever and all these people add the great to their name you know so like for me it's like it would be cool just to kind of see well just to see like kind of a star wars you know kind of spin on that like the rakatan empire like so it wouldn't really bother me yeah I, th- I think i think it can work like i would like to see it like remain in the past and only like influence the events as history and not like superstition like midichlorians i mean it's just the history and like they stumble onto the remnants of the rakadans on lehan but it's not like they take over the universe again you know it's like they're just kind of confined to their planet and that's it yeah but speaking of the star forge the the star map Maybe this was supposed to be super obvious and I missed it, but the star map kind of looks a lot like the Star Forge. And I'm like, just on my replay, I'm like, oh, it's an obvious visual clue. But yeah. Uh, I thought there were similarities. I didn't <laughs> like ar- ar- like architecturally similarities, but I didn't think that like there were like exact re- representations of each other. Yeah. I mean, it's not, like, one for one, but I'm, like, it also kind of looks like Revan's, like, purple lightsaber. And I'm, like, oh, that's some cool detailing there. But anyways, um, so Revan and Bastila, they access the star map in the Strange Ruins, and they see that there are four maps, there are four worlds mentioned that they can see. It's, like, that's Tatooine, that's Kashyyyk, that's Manon and Korriban. And they're like, okay, so we get it. We need to go to each of those worlds and find the star map. Then they return to the Jedi Council and they are officially quested to go to those worlds and to locate the star maps. And kind of just one idea I had about the Council is like, what if you... Maybe this is because I watched The Mandalorian and Bo-Katan came on. And I was like, what if, like, the Jedi Council has the voice actors from Knights of the Old Republic and they came in and did cameos or they contributed their voices to members of the Jedi Council? I'm like, they could even maybe have, like, 
have some of them be wearing some of the headgear from the games. Like, some of, like, the Jedi, you know, swag you can wear, you know? And maybe even Atris could be there. Revan and Bastila leave, and then there's a little quick cutscene where Darth Malak finds out that Bastila escaped with Karth Onassi, and Karath is kind of like, and also, let's discuss this somewhere privately, but I think there was someone else with them, so it's like, dun-dun-dun! Who is it? We know who it is, but, you know, like, the first time players don't really know, so... That's where we'll we'll leave off, and in a future episode, we will discuss how to handle Dantooine cinematically, so look out for that. Before we move on, I just wanted to make a plug for Apple Podcasts. It helps us out a lot if you're able to give us a review, subscribe, or just share our podcast. I mean... You could be that cool person who brings up the podcast they're listening to or the Star Wars podcast you're listening to and just tell everyone about it, you know? Like, tell your friends, tell your family, you know, like people in your life who need more KOTOR Star Wars or anything else kind of goodness that you think we can offer. So if you're able to do that, that helps us out and we're very grateful for you guys. So thank you and may the force be with you. So Juhani Fancasts, we had a few listeners submit Margot Robbie or Gal Gadot. Uh, What do you think of those choices? Uh, A lot of people have been watching a lot of Marvel and DC movies. Well, technically Uh, both of them have only been in DC DC yeah. movies. Yeah. I don't know, but that we we get a lot of recommendations for like former Marvel or DC. Yeah. And uh I don't know, for for Juhani. I don't know. I mean, you'll you'll see my recommendation later. So Yeah. That's uh I, I'm not I'm not a fan. I mean, I I have nothing against Margot Robbie or Gal Gadot, but like they're a bit too popular for me. I think like they are stars, you know. I I don't think they would quite take on like a role like Juhani. Like they'd do well in the role, you know. But I mean, it would be kind of interesting to see Gal Gadot play kind of like a cat-inspired species after she's going to take on Cheetah in Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Yeah, I think like they're very much like stars. So if they're going to take on a role in Knights of the Old Republic, I I would see them like wanting to be Bastila probably, but I I don't think that would happen personally. Astro Droid brought up Carly Chaikin from Mr. Robot or Sophia Lillis from It. I mean, sure. I've never seen these references. And so with, with how bad I bashed the other ones, like this would pretty well fit in with meeting that. So uh, I'd say, sure. Like I don't really have a baseline to like criticize or, or really support this one. I feel guilty that I haven't watched Mr. Robot as much because I think Deborah Chow has actually done some directing on that and that's how she ended up getting The Mandalorian. But I would be, I like the Carly Chaikin Casting, I, I could see it, 
Personally, I don't see Sophia Lillis as much, but yeah, I'll have to get more familiar with Mr. Robot. And then ironic.design says Janelle Monet. Personally, I would be a fan of this casting. I think she's a great actress and like she's like kind of of the same community that Juhani is and there's just one thing that I I kind of notice is that yeah, so I mean if you look at Guardians oh, of the Galaxy yeah. and the characters Gamora and Mantis are played by actresses of diverse, like, descent, but they're kind of covered up in makeup, and, like, that's just kind of one thing at the back of my mind is, like, you hire, like, actresses, but then are is she going to be covered up in CGI or makeup? That's just, like, a concern, like, I have, and maybe I'm overthinking it, but... Yeah. My fan cast at first was Elizabeth Debicki. She's in Tenant, and she's going to be playing Princess Diana in season five of The Crown. So she was my fan cast at first, but the more I was thinking about thinking about it, I was like, maybe she's maybe too high profile for this role. But maybe after Corona, she'd be like, yeah, I'd love to be in Star Wars and kind of play a secondary character. But when I was thinking about it a bit more, I was like, actually, maybe like Kristen Stewart would actually maybe be a good fit. But the more I think about it, I'm like, I think what this role would require is maybe someone who hasn't had their big break yet. And this they would be an unknown, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the right person is just someone I don't know about. But who's yeah. who's yours? So I I like Elizabeth Debicki, but the only thing I've I recognize her from is I I didn't even know she was in Guardians Volume Two, but or the Great yeah. Gatsby. But Tenant, like Tenant, was a good movie. It just was so loud, and I couldn't hear anything yeah. for like a few days. I've I've never seen Tenant. I my movies have been pretty one-sided lately (laughs) but yeah i believe on amazon prime she actually has been in a whole lot and the man from uncle my goodness like i guess i've seen her a lot without knowing that i was seeing her you know oh the night manager that's what it's called so there you go that's where i know her from anyway okay um so I saw this in our in our plans, and it's going to be canonized now. I think the best um, cast for Juhani is going to be Stephen Lang, and uh, there we go. It's canon because he basically every every role he's like Stephen Lang from Avatar, and I'm like okay. So yep. I just added it as a joke to to this script, and it's now you know part I, of the I episode. I just need that. I just need that Pandora pep talk. Yep. From someone. So maybe like he can play every role. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just take a quick break and we will talk about some of the force powers in KOTOR.
This next topic is examining what should the Force Bond look like. And Reborn Sith Loyalist said, their eye color could change for a color they'll both share. What do you think of that? So I'm seeing this come up in, I guess, a couple different opinions. And I think to answer these as they come up is I wouldn't want it to be confused with like a, a form of mind control. This is going to come up later for battle meditation. For Force Bond, one of the things that I really like, and this is again probably going to be more of my opinion for battle med- meditation, is I really like how Obi-Wan communicates with Luke in Star Wars A New Hope and Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, where it's it's just kind of like a, they have that um, vocal connection together. Yeah. And uh, and so I would like something along the lines, and, and this is also something featured in Star Wars Jedi Apprentice, where Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan can kind of just communicate on a more like telepathic level. And yeah. so, and that's, I think that's really hard to demonstrate cinematically. Visually, yeah. But I, that's, that's kind of how I see Force Bond, like something that's not as drastic as what we saw in the sequel trilogy where, I mean, they could literally like move between space and time, basically. It was something where they can be connected mentally and finding some way to uh, show that cinematically uh that's that's tough yeah i i think the best way to do that is just how they do it in a new hope where uh obi-wan can kind of communicate with luke and yeah uh, i think if luke actually tried to be able to communicate with obi-wan yeah it's been a while since i've seen lord of the rings but someone suggested something like frodo and galadriel and i can kind so of that's, remember that's it in the back pretty of my similar mind. yeah Except that's still kind of in that bending space time because you have the scene in in uh, Return of the King where um, when Frodo one of his one of his many fainting episodes he he uh, falls down onto the rock path and as he hits the ground he's in the in um, Gladriel's forest and yeah. she um, she goes to like give him some encouraging words and helps him up and as she helps him up he then like returns to his his own like space and so i think less of the space-time bending and more of just like the mental communication because jedi amir tall says what would be good is a single second split screen face shot so both of them looking aware of something i'm not sure if i like the split screen but seems a bit comic book I mean, it kind of reminds me of, like, Obi-Wan with Grievous. Like, it wasn't quite, like, a split screen, but it was probably the most split screen thing to ever happen in Star Wars. Uh, the extreme close-up shots? Yeah, I'm kind of like, okay, we're really seeing their foreheads, you know? So... I think I think those work really well to, like, bring in a form of, like, tension and suspense. But yeah, but yeah for, like, Force Bond, I think Force Bond's a bit, like, less... Well, it's definitely, I think, a less intense scenario. Mm, not like not like they're enemies, but it could be yeah. intense. And then Ironic.Design said, All I see is Rey and Kylo now with kind of like like a little bit of a cringe face. Ironic's kind of thinking the same as we are. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be kind of hard. Just like kind of the sequels kind of went there first. 
and kind of did like the diet root beer version of it rather than like, you know, the root beer version of it. So it's not like it has to be totally different from the sequels, but then it's kind of like you kind of have to like incorporate a little bit, but then I'm like, Revan and Bastler are also their own thing, so you don't have to put the cart before the horse, but what do you think? <laughs> that's that's kind of like they, they basically did it in such a way that they're like, well, if they can communicate like this, then they should be able to have lightsaber battles like this and be able to hand each other objects like this, and it's like, eh. Because I, I just don't see where it would come in handy, like, bending space and time and, like, I mean, don't, I don't, don't mind me taking out the trash of the sequel trilogy, but <laughs> that's kind of how I feel. And it's like, I don't know, would, like, Bastila be like, oh, no, where did my data pad go? And then Revan's like, here's a data pad, you know, like, so I would just say if they're ever going to teleport or, like, move objects against time just save it for the very climax of the third or like the very end just so it doesn't like happen before that but i personally wouldn't need to see it to like the extent that they did it in the sequels astrodroid then says in the game revan has a dream slash vision as you go to each new location so i think you could play with that perhaps you have basila go meditate and have her Vision end with Revan waking up. I think that would imply that they were having shared force visions. And then this comment from Astronautka Art kind of goes along the same path, so we can comment on them together. And Astronautka Art says, A good question. I think a cinematic method of changing frames from two perspectives will work well, like Luke and Vader in Empire Strikes Back and Rey and Kylo, but without words and similar movements mirroring the fact that they recognize each other in the situation. What do you think of those two comments? I, I'm going to go ahead and share my opinion on what the Force Bond should look like. Just yeah. to uh, just to answer it all. Yeah, and um, I, I'm going to answer this in two parts. Like, I think in a more conscious setting where they're they're out and about and, and moving around, I'd, I'd really stick with the, the mental vocal communication. When when we're looking at these shared vision dreams, uh, one one thing that I thought of and I liked is um, similar to the like the pensive from Harry Potter, where Dumbledore would dump in the memory and then they would go and visit memory together. But obviously different because we're not using like an object to do this. They're kind of sharing that same conscious space when they're unconscious as they're like viewing these visions and dreams like they're they're both present but it's not at the extent where we're bending space time they like they're just they're experiencing the the same dream as like the the unconscious location they're both there if that makes sense yeah because i think this is something you do kind of have to think about like as you move to live action and you're trying to visualize this, I do think it would be more simple than not, kind of like what was established with Luke with Obi-Wan and Vader in the original trilogy. You do kind of want to make it unique because, like, what Revan and Bastila, like, their force bond, what it, what it is is kind of... It's more intense than just, like, being related to each other or being master and apprentice. 
but I don't think it's like something you need to overcomplicate, but you do want it to be unique to what we've seen in the originals, prequels, and sequels. So I'm kind of not quite exactly sure, but you can do a lot like with dialogue and just like kind of editing and like how the frames are positioned, I would say. But one thing I was kind of thinking of too is like with the Force Bond developing like Revan and Basilet, I would imagine like you're also kind of showing them building a relationship over time. So uh, maybe the Force Bond can kind of like go along with that. So like maybe it gets like kind of starts out more subtle and then gets more intense as things go on, kind of mirroring like where their relationship is. That's just what I was thinking. I think it it would just work better as like an unconscious shared space and not like a physical shared space, which is what the sequels did. And or at least like nine more than anything. So Well, I I mean they were like they they hinted at it in eight where he yeah. brought Rain back from where she was at and then and then in nine they were they did like the whole lightsaber battle and then she handed him the lightsaber through the force and like that was frustrating to me. I think it's fine to communicate through the force. And if it's strong enough to the point where either Basil or Revan created like an unconscious space and they were able to visit each other in, you know, whatever unconscious space it was. So if it was like Revan's unconscious space or Basil's unconscious space, but like the big key thing is that we're not, carrying like physical any like conscious things through the space it's just their um their unconscious um space yeah which i think could be something kind of more powerful it's like it's not like it could be more kind of like they share thoughts and dreams and stuff like that like it's kind of more like the subconscious rather than you know like it's like now we're on this Kajimi world, you know, now we're on Kylo's, you know, we're on Kylo's man cave, you know, spaceship or something, you know, and it's like, ooh, the berries fell on the ground on Kylo's man cave, you know, so. An interesting representation of this, and, uh, you know, here comes my obscure reference of the episode, but in uh, in the TV show Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, there's, there's a couple, there's a whole arc where um, little Yugi gets trapped into Yami Yugi's like mental space, and uh, it has nothing to do with like the physical space, but it's it's because they kind of share an unconscious like connection that they're able yeah. to do this. So for all of you like you know Japanese anime fans out there, you'll you'll get that reference. For everybody else, you're gonna be like mind blown. But there you go. All right. So on that note, uh, let's just take a quick break and we will discuss battle meditation. So we also asked our listeners, how should battle meditation appear? And Jedi Amor Tall said confident facial expressions, faster movements, and greater physicality in those affected. 
Astro Not Cut Art says, Interesting question. I thought about it. I'd like to see something like force reality seeping through the material world, strings of causes and consequences which a Jedi can touch, and Jedi in battle meditation looking like a musician playing an organ. I liked what... I liked how Astronautka kind of visualized it. Uh, she's a great artist, and it's just kind of cool to kind of visualize the Force in different ways. But what do you think of those two comments? This is going to leak into kind of my overall opinion on this, but like I think it's important that battle meditation isn't confused with like taking control of soldiers. I, I don't want it to be confused with like if everybody's eyes light up, does that mean that like Bastila is basically the hive mind of the military. And and so I would I I would like to see something a little bit different. Grey Jedi 101 says, well since she can influence the minds of people, it could look like they perk up and then they can feel her guiding them. And then Astrodroid adds visually I'd like something similar to the intense focus we see Yoda using to raise the X-Wing mixed with something of the opposite of what we saw with Rey in Episode 8 on Ock 2 when everything was sped up. Bastila would be seeing the battle unfold slightly under real-time speed. Visually, there needs to be something that is affecting the battle and we aren't seeing, and we aren't just seeing her meditate. Slight speed shifts can be a subtle way to do it. So what do you think of Astrodroid's comment? So I think he's, he's kind of along a similar plane that I am on this one. Yeah. And so, and I'll, I'll get deeper into mine, but I do, I do like Astro droids kind of like thought on this one, but I think there's some other like little tweaks that I would do to it. Because the, the more I think about it, it's like, it's more simple than not, you know, even though it's something like a, a different power that we haven't really seen before. And then Ironic.Designs said, heavily influenced by music and a new unique sound that signifies battle meditation. Visually something like an aura radi radiating off her and or her eyes kind of glowing and flashing and it can cut to various soldiers with their eyes doing the same thing, signifying they're all connected. And I was kind of like talking with him and saying like, that reminds me of the last airbender, you know? And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess I, I, I was kind of influenced by that. But I think, like, incorporating, like, music and sound design would definitely help. But what is your take on how to visualize battle meditation? So uh, I think first things first, it, it helps to know, like, what battle meditation actually does. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it, it basically, when you actually use battle meditation in KOTOR, it raises your your stats in combat so you're able to like succeed in kind of like the the electronic dice rolls that take place in the game so how you um, successfully land your blows and like the damage you deal and things like that and how you're able to like dodge incoming attacks and things yeah it's never used in knights of the old republic like in the combat it's kind of just more of a story point so sometimes mm -hmm. you'll see like Bastila meditating, but it is a power you can use in Knights of the Old Republic too. Yeah, so I think to kind of how I would see this visualized is kind of kind of how uh, Astro was bringing this up, where uh, we see we see Bastila more kind of like away from away from the 
uh, well, yeah, kind of like out of the harm of the fight, but like very much into the force. Something like what we saw with uh, how how Luke was meditating in the sequel trilogy to project his <laughs> to project his physical form to the battlefield, but instead of that, um, basically projecting her mind to those in the conflict. So again, this would be kind of like a, a similar a similar sense to the force bond between Revan and Basla, but more of like a one-way communication where Basla is communicating and and like encouraging her like those that are in her command to you know to like proceed with like certain battle strategies or or just like lifts of encouragement things like that i like tell like music could be influenced by this and then maybe some form of like visual rep- representation of her like reaching out to the fleet or to like the ground force whatever she's influencing at the time something to that effect um is where I would go with this. I kind of was like, I probably need to watch more kung fu films. But sometimes if you kind of play games kind of inspired, like, by kung fu films or, like, kind of, like, Asian films, I remember, like, you would always have to kind of collect morale and stuff. And I was like, yeah, battle meditation, it's kind of like the person who uses it, like, you're kind of helping psych your team up with like boosting their morale and i was kind of thinking like maybe it could be shown as an arc like maybe at first like bastila is like fighting on the front lines and kind of being more like physical like kind of making it more about her but then like it kind of evolves to where it's kind of more about the force of it all and like meditating and going with the flow. Because I was thinking, it's like with the light side of the force, like battle meditation would kind of be like building a rapport with the soldiers, like kind of inspiring them and 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 that. But the dark side could maybe be like you're kind of enforcing your will upon them. Like you're kind of dominating the people you're trying to like boost the morale and kind of like making them do savage things, maybe. Like maybe that could be like different. Well, like the the alternative would be like mind slave, which is yeah, kind of what I was also what I was kind of explaining to avoid for yeah. like a um so, for like a light sided yeah. approach. And I think kind of what you're describing reminds me a lot of how they used Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars: The Clone Wars, where the clones were kind of like mediocre at best until like their their leader shows up when when Anakin shows up to like inspire their confidence and their direction to then like overcome the combat objective of the episode. Yeah. I think that has more to do on like less force level and just like more a personal level. Yeah. Yeah, this is like the force power version of it, but I do think it is connected to like the personal dynamic of it. So it I think, like, her being kind of, like, a sheltered Jedi or, like, a Sith, you know, kind of would hold her back. But I think, like, at the end when she's kind of more redeemed, 
like at the end I think she would finally get it you know then it's like battle meditation isn't like how the Jedi Council is using her as a tool but it's like you're working with them and inspiring them you're inspiring your team to be the best they can be it's like it's like being a good boss you know because, like, I, some bosses can, like, kind of rule by fear, you know, and be and kind of be, like, bad to work for. But, like, a good boss, like, helps their team achieve, like, helps everyone achieve more, you know? Yeah, I think, so, the other thing, too, is I'd want battle meditation to be steered away from kind of how it's defined in, like, Wikipedia and how you may have used it in KOTOR, where it's just, like, I cast battle meditation. What's Latin for battle? <laughs> but that's a joke on JK Rowling there. But so have it be more of like battle meditation as a, well, like a verb or uh, adjective and not like an actual action being done, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and one visual I kind of had in mind is, is if you remember... Batman Begins, when Bruce is afraid of bats, when you first see them, it's kind of like you get random quick shots, like, of bats coming, like, towards you, and, like, it's, like, you get sound effects and it's, like, unpleasant, but when he kind of goes back to where he came from when he comes back from Tibet and he knows what his mission is, he goes back to the cave and he's like, I need to experience this and then the bats just kind of swirl around him and it you have triumphant music and they're swirling around him and it, it's all kind of like flowing around him not just like those random like close-ups and like where it's kind of scary and I was like visually you uh, like maybe at the beginning it's kind of like some random like clips but then like towards like the end of the series where like Vesla kind of like knows more how to properly do battle meditation it can be like you kind of see that she's leveled up and like you kind of aren't quite looking at the leaf on a tree but you're seeing the whole forest so those are kind of my thoughts on battle meditation did you have anything else to add KOTOR brought to you by Christopher Nolan. And no, that's that's it. That's all I had. That's the end of this episode, but you can find us on Instagram at Ebonhawk Podcast. And the Ebonhawk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anger Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out immensely. And our email is ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com. You can email us your questions, comments, and business inquiries there. Yeah, and if you want to talk to me, you can find me on Instagram, Twitch, and Twitter um, just by searching Conan Bun. If you want to talk to me on more like a conversation or live level, um, that's going to be Twitch. So uh, typically Thursday evenings, anywhere from like 6 or 7 p.m. Uh, mountain time. So uh, if you want to chat with me there, uh, that's where you can find me. Uh, our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shorman. He can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. And our transition music was composed by Christian Walker, and he can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. All right, and then this has been the Ebonhawk Podcast. May the Force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now.